We're in 3 John tonight. This is part four of, of our sermon series through 3 John. If, if you're new here tonight, my style of preaching might be a little different than what you're used to. Um, both, um, both my style and my methodology, I, I, I like to preach what's known as expository, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, because these verses, they don't stand alone, they're not isolated. They're a part of a larger narrative that I want us to see and understand. And so tonight we're going to look specifically at verses 11 to 15. The downside of expository preaching is if you're here like tonight for the very first time, it's like walking into a movie maybe an hour late and you are really trying to figure out what's been going on so far in this story. So I just want to quickly recap verses 1 through 10. The guy writing the story, 3 John tonight, It's known as John the Apostle of Love, John the Disciple whom Jesus loved, John the Elder. He is the same John who wrote 1 John, who wrote 2 John, he wrote 3 John, he wrote the Gospel according to John, he wrote the book of Revelation, not to be confused with Revelations, there's no S, it's just Revelation, not to be confused with John the Baptist. This John actually was a disciple at one point of John the Baptist. That is, until Jesus, excuse me, until the Baptist in John one thirty seven pointed out that Jesus was the Messiah, at which point John left the Baptist and became a disciple of, of Christ. I had a brother named James, had a dad named Zebedee. According to Mark chapter 1, verse 20, they had a, a family fishing business with hired servants, kind of a blue-collar guy. John the Elder was someone who, as we've said each week, was very passionate about what's true and what's right. His disciple, Polycarp, this is church history now, tells a story how when John was toward the end of his life living in the ancient city of Ephesus, he had gone to the bathhouse to, to take a bath, and he ran into a man that he knew all too well named Serenthus. Serenthus had some weird teachings about Jesus. Serenthus taught that Jesus was not fully God and fully man, but he was only fully God at certain points of his ministry. For example, when at his baptism, the Spirit of God came, descended upon him, and then right before his crucifixion, the Spirit of God left him. That's what Serenthus taught, and uh, John was adamantly opposed to that. And so the elder, John, walks into the bathhouse in Ephesus, realizes that Serenthus is within, grabs his stuff, runs out of the bathhouse, yelling and screaming that Serenthus, the heretic, Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is within and he, I'm not going to have anything to do with Serenthus lest God kill him right now and the entire bathhouse come and crush him dead. For Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. That's the guy writing the story. A guy who's passionate and zealous about what's true and what is right. He writes this story from Ephesus around 90 to 95 A.D., Keep in mind, Christ was crucified around 33 A.D. He would have been a very old man at this point in between 90 and 95 A.D. Not only that, but church history tells us that John was the only one of Jesus' original disciples who died of old age. The rest of Jesus' disciples lived to die a martyr's death. And so when John is writing this letter, most likely he is the last surviving disciple of Jesus Christ. And he is an old man at that. But he writes this letter to a man named Gaius. A man that we don't really know anything about, but a man that John seems to personally know and care a great deal for. 
And one of the overarching themes that we see throughout this letter is, is truth. The word truth appears four times in the first four verses alone. But he writes this letter to a man named Gaius. And in the opening sequence, he commends Gaius because Gaius is in the truth. That is, Gaius, like the elder John, believes and continues to believe true things concerning Jesus Christ. It's interesting how he says that he knows that. Modern evangelism be forgotten. He says, guys, I know you're in the truth, not because you prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart. Guys, I know you're in the truth, not because you prayed the sinner's prayer. Guys, I know you're in the truth, not because you made a decision one time years ago at a little church camp and you've got a bunch of Sunday school answers memorized. He doesn't say that. He says, guys, I know you're in the truth because it's evident in your life. You love God. It's, it's evident in his life. And what we see from this story, apparently, some mutual friends of the elder, these brothers, had come, had stopped, had stayed with Gaius, had lived with Gaius. And then they came, and they came back, and they talked to the elder, John. They said, oh, John, Gaius is doing so well spiritually. I mean, it's so evident that he loves Jesus. Then in verses 5 and 6, we learn about these brothers, and we find out that Gaius didn't actually even know them. Gaius has been commended for showing them Christian love, hospitality. Turns out Gaius doesn't even know them, but he's like, hey, I just want to be like Jesus. So the elder commends Gaius to keep on keeping on, keep doing what he's doing. Then verses 7 and 8, the elder explains how we ought to be like Gaius in this way. How we ought to demonstrate Christian love like Gaius. That is, if, if we actually are in the truth. If, if we're really in the truth. And he gives three reasons. He says, one, the people that he wants Gaius to continue showing this Christian love and hospitality to, these traveling missionary church planner types, everything Every motivation for what they do is for the sake of the name. Everything that they do is for the sake of the name. That, that is, that Jesus Christ might be made supreme and known throughout the world. That's, that's the motivation. It's not to get rich. It's not to get famous. It's not to get more money for a private jet. That's it. It's just about Jesus. Perhaps Gaius lives on a major trade route and, and the elder knows it and he knows there are going to be more of these traveling Christian missionary church planter types that are going to come and need a place to stay. And then he gives a second reason. He says, they don't take any help from anybody else. He references Gentiles there in verse 8 or verse 7. And he says, they, they don't take anything from the Gentiles. That is, non-Christians, non-believers. Because that, that might be a conflict of interest. Like if you're sharing the gospel, you're like, oh yeah, Jesus loves you so much. By the way, you got 10 bucks for gas? Kind of a conflict of interest is they don't take anything from anybody, therefore we ought to help people like these. Because if we don't, no one else will. One of the things that God has just, really this summer while I was away at Fort Knox, I really felt he was teaching me and, and just, as, as I'm, you know, have this responsibility of leading the church, this kind of this vision, how important it is that, that we are like Gaius in this sense. That we're helping these modern day missionary church planners. Um, every, every church supports missions. Most churches support missions. The cool thing about Lynchburg City, it's a very transient community, so people will come here, and then they'll, they'll go out. And I thought, how cool would it be if we focused primarily on helping 
the people that we literally get to live with and then they go out from us. I just thought that was cool. And I know the challenges it can be to, to get help and support. And, uh, and so I presented the leadership team. I said, I'd like, um, I'd like us to right now, at least for now, to help Jeff Thomas. Some of you guys know Jeff Thomas. Jeff Thomas was here for like the first 18 months of the church. The church is about 37 months old, in case you're wondering. But he was here very much a part of it for the first 18 months um, in New Jersey pastor helping out a, a, one of the full-time pastors at a church plant. Yeah, and I've talked to Jeff, and he wants to go and, and start a church in Camden, New Jersey. That's really his passion right now. So I called him up last night. I said, Jeff, I said, um, I know you're getting married. He's getting married at the end of the month. And I said, um, we want to help you. I said, so in a few days, you're going to have a check for $600 from Lynchburg City Church um, because we want, we want to help you. And uh, he was Almost, he was just, he was holding back tears and he was just so thankful and he's like, please tell the church how much, how much I love them, how much I miss them, um, and how much that means to me. He's like, that's, it's just so encouraging. I'll tell you what, like one of the, the hardest things I think for pastors, church planners, is discouragement. It really is. Like if I could write a, a book, um, about my history at Lynchburg City Church, I'd say chapter one, discouragement, chapter two, discouragement, and I know what that's like. Until you do this, like, it, it's tough. And, uh, he was like, Joe, I've just had such a, it's, long story short, just been hard. And this is just such an awesome blessing from God, that encouragement. The first reason, everything they do is for the sake of the name, too. Because they don't take any help from anybody else. Like, if, if we don't help people like these, no one else is going to. No one else is going to. And the third reason, when we help people like these, he says, it's as if we go with them. Like, but I'm not going to Camden, New Jersey. No! Like, I'm not going to the unreached people groups. No, but when you help people like these, when we help people like these, the elder says, it's as if we're going with them anyways. This labor for love that Jesus Christ might be made supreme and known throughout the world. And then he introduces in verses 9 and 10 this bad guy, Diotrephes. He's kind of the anti-Gaius. Essentially, I'm going to paraphrase real quickly for the sake of time, essentially verses 9 and 10. What happens is the elder most likely writes a letter, a letter that's now been lost to history, a letter that probably said, hey, church, uh, listen up, uh, there's going to be some traveling missionary church planner types. They're going to come. They're going to need some help. Please be like Gaius. Help them. There's this man named Diotrephes. The letter's read in the church. He grabs it, drops it in the shredder, and says, we're not doing that. And basically convinces everyone else, or at least a strong majority of the people, to go along with him to the point that he says, oh, by the way, and if anyone wants to obey what John the Elder says, you're going to be excommunicated. We're going to push you out of the church. So how was he able to do that? Well, as we learned last week, he smeared and slimed and lied about it. It's that, that phrase, talking wicked nonsense. He was gossiping and slandering John the Elder and convinced a majority of the people at the local church to go along with him. And we're not going to help those people. And that sets us up for today. That was essentially three weeks worth of sermons in about ten minutes. And that sets us up really for today, for our text. And I'm going to read it. And I just want you just to just to look at it right now and let it kind of just marinate. Verse 11 Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever 
does evil, has not seen God. 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know, you know that our testimony is true. Then verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So verses 13 to 15, I feel, need little or less explanation than I think verses 11 to 12 do. And so, for that reason, I will spend the most of our remaining time unpacking verses 11 and 12. He begins by saying in verse 11, Beloved, this is the third time that he has referred to Gaius as beloved. It means dear friend. It's a very affectionate term. He loves Gaius. As I said in the introduction, he seems to know Gaius personally, whoever this Gaius may have been. Beloved, or Gaius, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. It seems to be a very general admonition to do good. As Gaius is already doing good. Or maybe said another way, Gaius, keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing it. You're doing great. Do not imitate evil. Who's been imitating evil? Diotrephes. Okay. So don't do that, but imitate good. What character has been doing that? Gaius has been doing that in his Christian hospitality that he's been showing to these, these brothers, these traveling missionary church planters. So don't do that. Do this. Don't imitate evil, but imitate good. What does imitating good look like? Well, in the context of this story, it's showing hospitality. Within the context of the story, imitating good is being like Gaius and helping those who need help. There it is. You don't have to be a scholar to just realize that. So that's what it is. And of course, right here, I think automatically, I want to pause for a second. It brings up an application question. Halfway through verse 11, don't imitate evil, imitate good. And so here's the question is, what are you imitating? Have you thought about that ever? What are you imitating? Or, who are you imitating? What's your focus set on? I think a lot of people would say this. They'd say, well, Joe, I'm, I'm not really doing either. Okay, I'm not like Diotrephes. Okay, well, you're like Gaius. Well, you know, I'm kind of like in the middle. Oh, oh let me show you something. Back to verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good, unless... You're really neither doing either or, and you're just kind of floating along in the middle and acting like Switzerland. Notice how the text doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. The text doesn't say what it doesn't say. And yet, for many of us, that's us. Just floating along. I'm not diatrophies. I'm not doing evil. He's doing crazy stuff. Verses 9 and 10 make that very clear. Okay, well, what are you imitating? The elder says, imitate, imitate good. And he doesn't give an exception, like, unless you're neither doing either or and you're just floating along like Switzerland. Like, like, he doesn't say that. So, what are you imitating? What's your focus on right now? Or who, 
Who are you imitating? Or, or who are you, are you focused on? I say who because a lot of single people in here. A lot of single people in here. And it doesn't take a whole lot to have that, that focus just, just, just altered. Just, just altered off to the side. It doesn't take a whole lot. Buy another person. Buy a hobby. Buy even good things. Good people. Good hobbies. Imitate good, don't imitate evil. So, so what, are you, what are you imitating? Are you imitating anything? Are you focused on anything right now? Are you focused on what you should be? Or is the thought of being like Gaius, and, and Gaius commended for hospitality, but really Gaius is commended back in the greeting, not just that he's in the truth, but that he's walking in the truth, that he's living out what he believes. Is that you? Maybe for some of you it is. Or for some of you, you're like, screw that, I don't care. I just would rather float along in my little Disneyland version of Christianity. You know, nice, easy life. And then I just get to go to heaven at the end. That's it. Easy. I'm in the truth, yeah, I'm a Christian. So what or who are you imitating? That's a good question. That's a great question. Something to at least think about. We continue verse 11. It says, Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So let's think about this for a second. Whoever does good is from God. Who's been doing good that's been being committed so far? Anybody? Guys! Yes, all right. So whoever does good... Guys have been doing good. It's from God. Guys, it's from God. You might say another way. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Okay, there's only been one bad guy in this story. It's Diotrephes. Diotrephes has been doing evil. And what does he say? Diotrephes has not seen God. He's saying, essentially, Diotrephes is not a Christian. <laughs> Come on, John! What are you talking about? Some unpacking and application need to be done here. And just in case, I want to clarify, because there may be people with Catholic backgrounds in here. Um, this is not a contradiction of, of texts like Galatians 2.16 or, or Romans 3.20, which make it very clear that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. It's not a contradiction. It's not saying, okay, you do good things, then you get God's favor, like Gaius. Not saying that. Because you have to have God's favor before you can get God's favor. You have to have God's favor before you get it. So it's not saying, do this, and you got God's favor. Then, then, then you are in the truth. Rather, we understand this in terms such as, Gaius, awesome. He, he's commended because he lives out what he believes. Whoever does good is from God. The good that Gaius is doing is not the means of his salvation, but rather is the evidence of his salvation. Is the evidence. Going back to the beginning, the first four verses, Gaius is commended because he's in the truth. He's commended because he's in the truth. Okay, well, how do you know he's in the truth? Notice what John didn't say. He didn't say he's in the truth because he asked Jesus to come into his heart. 
Because he prayed the sinner's prayer. You gotta be kidding me. Because he made a decision at summer camp. He doesn't say that. He says, no, it's, it's obvious because his life changed. His life changed. How does that happen, Jesus? That's how it happens. So the good works the guys are showing is not the means that he's in the truth, but rather the evidence. And he's, that's what verses 1 to 4 says. He commends him because he's walking in the truth. He's living out what he believes. And then, of course, then there's Diotrephes. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Really seems like he's talking about him. Really seems like he's talking about him. I've gotten several conversations with family members about this. My one aunt in particular, who I love very much, who I know she loves the Lord. And, and she'll say, well, I really think my kids are, are saved. I said, why? Well, because when they were at summer camp back when they were 15, you know, they, they made a decision to follow Jesus. And, you know, I really know, I really think they really meant that and believe that. Okay, well, is there any evidence in their life? Well, no, but I think God's going to honor that. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I don't, is that in here? Is that, is that, is that in here? Here's Diotrephes, I bet you he, he said that. I mean, this is a guy who's a part of a church. Sure, he says, I love Jesus, I'm in the truth. We just don't want to help these people. Gaius gives evidence. Gaius gives evidence that he's in the truth. So does Diotrephes. Diotrephes gives evidence that he's not in the truth, that he's not a Christian. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Say, I know God. No, you know facts about God, like Diotrephes. You know all the Sunday school rehearsed answers. That's it. You don't love God. When you look at God, He's not beautiful. He's boring. That's it. And that seems to be it for Diotrephes as well. Who the elder says, he hasn't seen God. In other words, he doesn't know God. He doesn't know God like Gaius knows God in a saving way. He doesn't. Then we go into verse 12. Demetrius. Brand new characters introduced. Guy named Demetrius. Much like Gaius, he has a very common name. Literally means belonging to Demetor. That is the Greek goddess of grain and the harvest. Very common name. But Demetrius is introduced. <clears throat> There's a lot to say about Demetrius. He says, Demetrius has received, verse 12, a good testimony from everyone. <clears throat> Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. Everybody's got a lot of really nice things to say about this guy named Demetrius. I stop and think... What type of testimony would I receive from the people that know me? What type of testimony would you receive from the people that know you? Maybe they'd say that Joe Decreon loves the Rangers. Or John Piper. But is that it? Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. I'm curious, if you put your name there... Would it say the same thing? If you, if you substituted your name there, I wonder what it, or how it might read. 
Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. Pretty clear, everyone. And then he says, and from the truth itself. Needs a little bit of explanation there, because kind of ambiguous. What does it mean to receive a good testimony from the truth itself? Remember I said, truth is a major theme. The word truth appears four times in the first four verses in our English Bible. So what does it mean to receive a good testimony from the truth? Well, we need to understand how does John use this word truth throughout the story? Well, when he speaks of truth, he speaks of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's received a good testimony from the truth itself. So how do we understand that? I think we understand it such as this. Demetrius has received a good testimony from the truth itself. That is, even his commitment to the truth speaks well of him. Even his commitment to the truth speaks well of him. Expressed in his actions, in his behavior, in his love for other people. So I'm curious. Application. If you were to receive a testimony from the truth itself, how might it testify about you? What would it say? Would you, like Demetrius, also receive a good testimony from the truth itself? That is, even his commitment to the truth speaks well of him as expressed in his behavior and his love for other people. Or would it be wanting? Would it say, oh yes, the truth testifies, says, oh yes, they are very committed. Well, as long as they don't have a date, as long as they don't have job stuff or school stuff or prior engagements or intramurals or a second date, as long as it doesn't inconvenience them. Well, actually, they're probably committed really more or less in word only. Not so much in deed only. And yet Demetrius is commended because he's received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. That is, his commitment to the truth speaks well of him. Expressed in his behavior and his love for others. I wonder, what type of testimony might you have? And then he says this in verse uh, 12. He says, we also add our testimony. The elders writing this, we He's obviously including other leaders or pastor types. We also add our testimony, and you know, you know, Gaius, that our testimony is true. I mean, here is Gaius reading this letter from the last surviving disciple of Jesus. Everyone else is dead. All this stuff about Demetrius. What, what I haven't told you at this point that might be helpful is, in everything that I studied in preparing for this, most people, and we can't say this with 100%, but most people believe that Demetrius is the one carrying this letter. That he shows up at Gaius' house in Gaius' town, and he's like, Gaius? He's like, do I know you? Um, this is for you. Gaius opens the letter. He's just reading about this. The elder's commending him, telling him how great he's doing, telling him about the situation with diatrophies at the church. And then, by the way, here's, here's the guy that's standing right there, and he's looking. He's like, Demetrius? He's like, yeah, yeah. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, even the truth itself. Oh, by the way, we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I'm curious, what would your leaders and your pastors, what type of testimony would they give to you? What would they say about you? you say, well, I don't, I don't really have any leaders or pastors, or they're back home. Well, why? Well, because I haven't found a church yet. Why not? Because I'm still looking. How long have you been looking? Yeah, a little bit, like two years. Man, how important is this testimony? 
Important enough that he spends time to write about it. And I'd encourage all of you to be a part of a local church somewhere. Hope it's LCC. If it's not, that's okay. But to be a part of a local church where you can cultivate the sort of relationship that Demetrius has with the elder John, with the other pastors and leaders there, most likely in Ephesus. Be a part of a church that you can have that relationship. Hey, if you can't, maybe you should look for a different church where you can have that. Demetrius has received this great testimony, this great report, this great reputation. And Mike, Mike, I'm curious, what would people say about you? What would the truth itself say about you? What would your leaders or your pastors say about you? What would they say? A lot of single people here, oftentimes I get the question, hey, what do you think about that guy? What do you think about that girl? Sometimes I say, I don't really know. Other times I say, I love that guy. That's the guy I want marrying my little sister. Some of you say, okay, I got it. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about what you're saying, and honestly, I wouldn't probably have a very good testimony from anyone. From anyone. So my question for you then is, what are you doing to cultivate it? Are you doing anything to cultivate that type of testimony? The type of testimony that we see exemplified and commended by the elder for Demetrius? Are you doing anything? This goes back to the beginning, verse 11. Don't imitate evil, imitate good. And so many people say, well, I'm doing neither. I'm just kind of floating along in this, remember, this, this Disneyland version of Christianity. I'm, I'm not really doing anything to cultivate this. And quite frankly, I don't care because it doesn't matter. Maybe that's you. And I would say, it doesn't matter. There's a flippin' book in the Bible that we've been talking about for four weeks. You can't sit there and tell me that this doesn't matter. You can lie to yourself all day long or say, Oh, I don't like how Joe's talking to me. His tone's too strong or whatever it is. And pretend like you didn't hear what the elder had to say. And it won't make a difference. Because you'll be held accountable by God. What are you doing to cultivate the type of testimony that Demetrius has? He's received a good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself, even the leaders and pastors that know him. And so we conclude 3 John with this, that the truth matters a whole lot. What we believe matters a whole lot. But you know what also matters? Whether or not we actually live out what we believe. Because a lot of people, they don't. And it's really easy. And, and most of you guys know I'm a Liberty grad. I went to Liberty for seven years, undergrad, grad school. And it's so easy here to get so comfortable and just float. Just float. And just float. I don't want you to float. I want you to be like Gaius. I want you to be like Demetrius. I want you to cultivate the type of reputation, the type of testimony that this guy Demetrius has. It's okay. Like The good news is, if this isn't you, that's okay. Just repent. Ask God to help make you more like these people. Ask people to help you, to hold you accountable. The Christian life is not meant to be one lived by yourself, alone, isolated, without other people. So I, I talk about small groups all the time. I say, you should really come to small group. You should come to small group. Live life with the people of God. So as the band comes, I, I want to pray.
I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. (sighs) Holy God, we love you. You are a good God. You are a great God. Help us to cultivate the type of testimony, the type of reputation that Demetrius and Gaius have. So that we're not just someone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian. Because Diotrephes says that. That's Diotrephes. And his life gives zero evidence. Oh, actually, it gives evidence, just evidence that he's not a Christian, despite what he actually professes. God, help us to be like Gaius. Help us to be like Demetrius. To take the step to repent where we need to repent. Make us more like your son. God, protect us from from the temptation. There's such a temptation, Lord, for those of us here to just float, to float, to be just in the middle, on the fence, just, just floating. No, I pray for us in here, Lord, that if we asked anyone, they would say, oh, they love Jesus. It's so evident. Make us like that type of person. Amen.